0: Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, Justin and I have a conversation about the quest for spiritual experience. You may have felt this where you're always trying to get back or reach that new high, where you feel close to God, and you're loving Him as He loves you, and yet you're falling short, and you're wondering if there's something wrong with you. Well, we look at history, where this possibly came from, and how it's the exact opposite of rusting in the sufficiency of Christ. We hope you enjoy. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving
1: us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening.
0: Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a reformed, confessional, and pastoral perspective. We're just going to throw out. a new in there. Look man out, alive. the man alive. Justin and I are coming off the weekend. It's a Wednesday morning, and yes, we are excited to be here. Your host today, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Nashville, North Carolina, and myself, John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reform Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Someone some got confused that I was in Columbia, but I am in Spring Hill. Our church plant is in Columbia. If you live there, you can go visit Pastor Patrick Crandall. He's doing a fantastic job. Justin, today's a fun subject. This is one that uh, we will do our best to get everything in as fast as we can within a thirty-five to forty-minute time frame. But as the title says, my friend, this is probably one that we will enjoy. I mean, I think we enjoy them every week. But yeah, I think we do too. Let's just do it. One Let's one minute it. in. One minute in. We're trying in. Let's do to it. get
1: right to the subject Let's matter do these this. days That's right. to serve our listeners well. Come on. Today's episode is entitled the quest for religious experience. And this is something that plagues the evangelical church. It is a symptom, we're going to argue, of a systemic problem. It's a symptom of the subjectivizing, if I can use that word, of religion, where true religion is found in the subject rather than in the object. It's found in the subjective, not in the objective. So what we're going to talk about today in part is the fallout of this. There's a number of different presentations um, and manifestations of this where we're told that uh, true religion exists in our affections uh, or that the great goal of the Christian life is to be in some sense emotionally satisfied in God uh, or even to seek pleasure in God from a hedonistic perspective. Um, the way that we fight the other kind of hedonistic desires that we might have and hedonistic instincts that we have as humans, given that we're fallen, is to then be hedonists when it comes to Christianity and to seek that kind of pleasure in our religion. And this stuff hails from a particular place historically. It hails from some of the, the revivals of the 18th and 19th centuries. And it also hails from a place where you know a, a movement called pietism Uh, that we talk about as well here on this show and here's the thing people are on this quest for this religious experience we chase after feelings we chase after experiences we chase after this kind of satisfaction in god in this emotional kind of ethereal sense and the understanding would then be if i am satisfied in god that way not only am i legitimate But if I'm satisfied in God this way, then everything else in my spiritual life will go well, and maybe even everything in my life on this earth will just go so much better if I can find this kind of satisfaction and this kind of experience in God. And so we're going to assess that from a Reformed and confessional perspective. Is that how Christians through history, in particular, is it how the Reformed understanding of Christianity would assess satisfaction in God? What does it mean to be satisfied in Christ? We're going to talk about some of that. And then we're going to talk about how this just this whole project, it doesn't work mm-hmm. and it ends up producing a lot of despair or discouragement in other ways. It could produce some self-righteousness, it doesn't do good things in the church, doesn't do good things for individuals. So that's a kind of a setup, John yeah. of what we plan to discuss. I'm going to turn it back over to you and let you get this thing rolling downhill Mm-hmm. We'll see where the Lord takes us.
0: Right. Well, one of the things uh, that normally comes out of some of our podcasts, it's either feedback from listeners or uh, subject recommendations. Uh, This one probably comes from some preaching that Justin and I have been doing. I've been working through the book of James recently, and so this has been coming out in some of the issues that we've been dealing with. And as I think about just my religious experience, and then as uh, the more research I do about history, and uh, then read reading historians there there's this movement that happens and this is what we're trying to get at another way of uh, wording this is that Christians fall into what's called the arrival fallacy that sure. once you arrive at a certain spiritual part of your journey, then you go what I call the withouts you know there is a moment where once I arrive at this, sp- religious experience then i'm not going to really experience pain like i may it may be there but i'm not going to experience there won't be divergence i'm I'm just going to be there's constant state of joy and ecstasy and there'll definitely not be a decrease it's you know there's no such thing as the stock market tick up and down it's just one straight line
1: yeah and the notion there is that if one is satisfied in the lord appropriately then yes, you may encounter suffering and pain in this fallen world where I'll promise that, but it won't even really register because your joy is so transcendent. Mm-hmm. And the idea as well is that if my affections and my satisfaction are fixed upon God who never changes and who himself is transcendent, then my joy will be the same way. That's right. That's right.
0: Amen. So there's that There's that drive where we want to kind of hit that first, uh, you know, there are these movies that are out there and you'll watch them and and it's typically during either Valentine's or Christmas and it's at that it's that e, the emotional excitement of the first date, the first meeting, sure. that that new first love, the
1: new relationship, right? Whatever. The
0: newness of it. That's and that's what's and that's what we're looking for is that newness of our relationship. And I call it the a spiritual adrenaline high. We're just we're we're become spiritually gentle and junkies. Where we're just kind of always trying to find that next pop where we feel like we're on top of the world and nothing can take us down. And we're these strong, vibrant Christians and when we we use mechanisms to fabricate that. And there, Justin, it's kind of like the 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 <laughs> the potential of what Christianity has sold you to give you that next to Gentle and spiritual high. Yeah. seems endless from what kind of devotional book you read to what kind of music you have on a Sunday to lights. And there's just so much that's given to you to say, here is what can get you into the presence of God. And you can literally just bask in his glory. And then you walk away soaking in this experience of joy and happiness. And then you're most people who walk away and they're like, I'm bone dry, <laughs> Yeah. I'm brittle and broken. Whatever I'm supposed to be basking in and soaking up has not been my experience. So that's yeah. the two extremes. And I, I think, Justin, I w- we should talk a little about where this comes from and then w- like how it is that it has become the norm and yeah. what the Christian life should potentially look like. But um, sure. I think you know where I'm going with this, but where does this come from?
1: Yeah, I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit historically. So you yeah. mentioned that the the driver for this conversation has come from some of the things you're preaching and I'm preaching and also some of the things that we're researching and learning about ourselves and studying ourselves in order to do some teaching in our local church contexts. And so for me, I know I've been reading for uh, a a while now. I've been trying to read and um, survey history just from a a perspective of learning more about the Reformed confessional faith historically Mm -hmm. and then also reading more about the history of American religion, uh, particularly Protestantism in America and revivals and all these kinds of things and revivalism. And so this stuff that we're talking about today, this subjectivization of religion, this making true religion about the subject, like we're, we're looking within to find true religion, that is definitely hails from not only the movement of pietism as so as it's so called but also a movement known as revivalism or just the project of revivals particularly in as i alluded to earlier the 18th and 19th century in america and we're not going to get into a big historical survey of all that stuff but suffice it to say that during that period of time even in the first great awakening that was certainly better in ways than the second great awakening so called uh But even in the first one, we have real concerns about that. That's another show for another day um, because the, the locus of the, really the center of the Christian life was removed from the gathered church in the local assembly and moved to this revival meeting. And more or less what ended up happening, John, in part was religion in this period of revival became about the individual's response to a fiery preacher, Mm. My own personal fervor for the Lord became a massive emphasis. The level of my conviction became a massive emphasis. How I felt about the things of God became a massive emphasis in this period when these revivals were occurring. And the Protestant church of an evangelical ilk in this country ever since have had this baked into the cake where... And huge emphasis on these things, my response, my feelings, my conviction, my fervor, my devotion, my intensity regarding Jesus and the things of God become the real measuring stick of my Christian life and experience. Mm -hmm. And then you have other things through history. I mean, Jonathan Edwards, of course, lived during the period of the First Great Awakening and his most famous work would be the one entitled Religious Affections, where he is going to define true religion in this subjective way as it pertains to how we feel about God Mm -hmm. and, and what our affections are for God. And just to be super clear before we go any further, John and I are all about personal commitment and devotion. We are all about affections for the Lord. The Reformed have always been about these things. We want people who are affectionate towards God. We want people who are committed and who are convicted of sin and who love the things of God. I mean, amen to all of that. The real question is though, how do you go about cultivating that? Mm -hmm. And our answer to that question is different. So I don't want to get us too far ahead, John, because I know what we're going to talk about the reform perspective of these things. Uh, Do you have other comments that you want to add about where this hails from mm -hmm. and maybe even how this shows up in the, in the contemporary church even. I mean, we could chop that up a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's misinterpreting the Old Testament promises to Israel in that we lose sight that those promises were given specifically to a nation. Like for when we talk about restoration of land, restoration mm-hmm. of health, protection, those type of things, we assume that God's mission in our life is our physical, mental, and material protection and blessing. So then we equate the closer I am to God, the more affection I am to him, the natural response to that will be his affection towards me. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is even how we build relationships, not only inside of marriage, but outside of our marriages where one side of the marriage party is not reciprocating and not building it. It it can dampen. And so there is a give and take when it comes into a relationship relationship Most human relationships are based upon give and take. I mean, Justin, you and I, if after our first conversation that we met on the phone years ago, if neither of us really returned and reciprocated that relationship, it would have, you know, fallen away. Right. But we assume that's how God is. So we treat the relationship in that Mm -hmm. way in which we have to increase our affections, our satisfaction and joy in him by what we do. And so it's always the energy going up instead of what we're going to get into is understanding that God's response and blessing to us is mm-hmm. never based upon. I mean, this is even James yeah. 2 when he, or James 1 where he says, every gift and perfect, every perfect gift is, comes to you not based upon variation and change. Mm-hmm. What I would say is that the greatest promise, and this is what's skewed, the greatest promise given to the believer is that you can have two things. You can have full satisfaction and full joy mm-hmm. in the midst and the guaranteed promise of trial, suffering, and joy. I'm sorry, trial, suffering, and death. So mm-hmm. what we confuse it to be is that if I pers- I'm i on this quest for the spiritual experience some don't necessarily always equate it to a physical side, but in the prosperity gospel, it definitely has it has progressed to that, that the ultimate experience and the ultimate spiritual experience is not only the spiritual connection, sure. but also the physical. I mean, we connect it to our wealth and to our job and to our health. So there's sure. a kind of a broad barometer that can go between those who would say, well, it is that and it's not. But anytime it morphs and you get away from the source... It can change into all kinds of things. And so you can see how revivalism, in my opinion, has progressed into the prosperity gospel because that's all it is. It's you are always trying to revive something for the sake of what you're getting in return. And they've just progressed it to its logical conclusion.
1: Yeah. And I think for many people, it shows up in a very uh, emotional kind of pursuit sort of thing where my religion is about sort of my mental, emotional well being and my fulfillment in those ways. And what I need to do is pursue these affections for God in this way. And I need to pursue feeling about God this way so that that will then be the transcendent experience of my life. And that even when I encounter bad things, I won't be rocked by those because my affections for God are so strong. Mm -hmm. And it, again, it, I I hope the listener can understand. We're not saying that affections for God are bad things. Of course, it's good. And Jonathan Edwards or John Piper, whoever we may bring up today, those men both have known suffering and have written beautifully on suffering and pain and would agree with much of what we're saying. I think our argument today is not, don't talk about affections. Our argument is you got to ground affections in something that is objective. And the way to go about uh, accomplishing the goal of stirring one's affections for God is not a subjective project. Hmm. It's actually an objective project where we point people outside of themselves always to Christ and the gospel. I want to briefly maybe try to recalibrate the conversation on satisfaction really quickly. And then Mm -hmm. we'll just, I just feel like interjecting this here. And if we go back and forth on some things, that's fine. I think people today, um, maybe Allah Jonathan Edwards or, or, a la John Piper and his perspective on Christian hedonism. Which is a big John Piper.
0: He's a huge Jonathan Edwards Jonathan Edwards guy. Yeah, Yeah, totally.
1: So Piper was very influenced by Edwards. And, you know, let me just interject this too. I mean, there was a a Thomas Chalmers, a Puritan, you know, is relatively well known for a a work entitled The Expulsive Power of a Greater Affection. Mm -hmm. And I think that what, you know, to an extent Edwards and Piper have done is, maybe nailed that kind of thinking to the wall in a way that isn't helpful. Uh, Piper in particular does this where, you know, if you're, if your satisfaction in the Lord is so great, then it will drive out the desire to be satisfied in anything else. And I think due to the corruption of the flesh and the frailties of our frame, we will constantly be fighting that battle and uh, John Piper, of course, would acknowledge as much in a book entitled When I Don't Desire God. God yeah. you know? So he again, we're not trying to be unfair to people that would advocate this kind of satisfaction in the Lord, religious affections perspective. There's some overlap here. But to be satisfied in Jesus, what does that even mean? Like biblically, what would that even mean? And I'll at least reference John Calvin, who I think is very helpful on this topic. One of the areas where this would show up is in his commentary on First John, but he would write similar things elsewhere. When Calvin talks about the notion of being satisfied in Christ, what he means by that is looking to nothing or no one else save Christ for my peace, for my assurance, and in order to confirm me in the faith. Mm-hmm. So to be satisfied in Christ is to be satisfied with Christ as Savior to be satisfied with Christ as Redeemer, to be satisfied with Christ as sufficient. And by that, I want to be super clear because I think a lot of times I'll tweet this or put it up on Facebook occasionally, Christ is enough. We say that a lot here at Theocast. Christ is enough. And we even have ideas with how we're going to use that enough maybe down the road for things that we want to do together at Theocast. When I say, when we say Christ is enough, we don't mean that in some sentimental, emotional way. We don't mean that in some sort of like pleasure way where like Christ is enough and I just feel these things and so I don't go do other things. What Mm -hmm. we mean by saying Christ is enough is that he is enough to save even you. Mm -hmm. He is enough for atonement and forgiveness of sins. He is enough to absolve you of guilt. He is enough to provide you with all the righteousness that God will ever require of you. He is enough to guarantee your bodily resurrection. He is enough for your eternal life, right? And so look to him for those things and look to nothing else, including your own performance, Mm. including your own feelings for Jesus, uh, including your satisfaction in God. Because if you look to that stuff, it will come up far short of what it needs to be. And so I think that reformed understanding, man, that is objective, that's grounded in Christ, his person and his work, is a much better way to talk about satisfaction And it's actually going to produce real joy, which we're going to get to that uh, at some point in either today or the next episode. Real joy is found and real piety is found when one is satisfied in Christ in this way. Mm -hmm. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness A Primer on Rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org/primer.
0: Agreed in our next episode coming up, we are going to talk about there are things to do that give you joy. It's the promise that's given to us by the Father and multiple other New Testament yeah. writers. So yeah. stay tuned for that next week. But to add to what you're saying, what's really hard for the human heart to believe is that the world what, which we can see and we can touch and we can consume, the world's very tempting to the flesh that money yeah. and fame and sex and relationship uh, will bring satisfaction. And the the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Christ is not only the spiritual satisfaction for our degradation against God, the, the way in which we have failed him, but he is also the full satisfaction of all of our desires, of all of our needs, and that what there is what we call the already not yet, and that not yet part is really hard for us. In that while we wait, First John says we are what we are not what we will be, which is in Christ, fully transformed into Christ, in the presence of Christ, enjoying the benefits of Christ in the new heavens and the earth. And he says, but we're waiting, and that waiting period becomes really hard. And again, this I think goes to sometimes Justin, we are trying to bring heaven to earth. That's that arrival fallacy. Oh, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we do that, we are missing out on the sustainability of what God has given us. So, a great example again, I'm just going to go back to James uh, because where my heart and mind is at the moment. James, uh, the first epistle, arguably is writing to, um, arguably is the first epistle. This is not arguably. (laughs) He's writing to churches that have left Jerusalem under spiritual and physical persecution and they're fracturing underneath partiality. They're, they're hurting each other with their tongue. It's just a it's a mess of church. And what he begins with is he actually is trying to ground them in their satisfaction and hope outside of the current circumstances. Mm-hmm. He's actually telling them, you have every reason to have hope and joy and satisfaction in the midst of suffering. This is why he says, count it joy, because when you suffer, you will see the power of the Spirit sustain you and create within you stability. Another way of saying this from a reform perspective, in the midst of trial, you have hope because God's the one who perseveres you through the trial. Mm-hmm. Amen. So he is pushing you beyond the trial because he never says, here's how to stay out of trials, here's how to avoid them or overcome them. He's saying in the midst of whatever trial you may be, and it might be a lifelong one depending on what you're, you find yourself in. Yeah. You will persevere. And then he moves on to the the thing that we feel like we're lacking, which is wealth in this world. And what does he say to that person? He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, because Mm -hmm. he says the wealthy pursuit will fade away. So he's grounding them in how they're going to be sustained. Then he reminds them, hey, whatever you think you're lacking here will be given to you in tenfold, because the exaltation is the inheritance in Christ. Right. Amen. So he's saying what you think you're lacking, you are not because you have full promise of satisfaction to come. And often we as humans, what do we want, Justin? We want gratification now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Jesus is saying it is yours. God is promising it is yours. But you do, we can't be fully satisfied in a broken world. Mm-hmm. That's impossible to have. So, yeah. There, there's, a, there's a third promise that's given to us, and that third promise is what we call hope. And hope is what drives us in the midst of this pain and suffering. And when our emotions are low and our affections are sideways, what remains yes. and steady is our hope in that which is to come. We yes. can look to what's already been given And then we look to that which is to come and we don't, as the Bible says, lose heart.
1: Yeah. So uh, two big thoughts for me and two big theological categories keep rising up in my mind and my brain, like in my heart, as I'm just listening to you and processing what we're discussing right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to comment on each of them. And if I need to do one and then the other, I don't care. Yeah. So the first is the theology of the cross versus a theology of glory. And so this is a category, a historical category theologically, where the Reformed, both Reformed and Lutheran, so Protestants, hailing from the Reformation, both would uphold an understanding of something called the theology of the cross over and against the theology of glory mm-hmm. in a way that, relevant to this conversation, that we might describe this, whereas a theology of glory would tell us that we live from religious experience to religious experience, mm-hmm. You know, we live from triumph to triumph, from victory to victory. The reformers would have said, no, 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 that's not what life is. It's not that kind of obviously glorious thing. We're not just living from great religious experience to great religious experience. In fact, the project of this life is to trust in the Lord in the midst of weakness mm-hmm. and in the midst of the struggle against sin and to acknowledge that we in and of ourselves are weak, we are frail, there remain in all of us uh, these remnants of unbelief, right? We struggle in various ways, and this will be our experience until we're resurrected. And that's important when it comes to this conversation, that we would have these categories in view because this theology of glory is kind of the, it's part and parcel of the evangelical MO, right? Like we're going to be living from experience to experience, from triumph to triumph, from victory to victory, onward and upward, you know? And it's an unhelpful paradigm. Whereas realizing that we own our weakness and we are learning to be more dependent upon God's grace, we are learning to trust Christ in the midst of suffering and pain. That is what the Lord is working in us by his spirit from the perspective of the theology of the cross. And this allows us to be honest about our lives, right? Like you read Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, where he says, you know, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant of what we went through. You know, things were so bad that we despaired of life itself, Mm. you know. But this is a man too who will say that the light and momentary afflictions that we experience now are not worth comparing to the weight of glory that's coming. But it helps us understand what he means. It's not that we can't talk about pain and suffering. It's that what's coming is so great, we can't even fathom it. It's the hope to which we've been called, which we should discuss more than we do. Amen. You know, but but that's not yet. Like you already said, it's an already but not yet thing, mm-hmm. and so it's important that we keep all this stuff in appropriate perspective. Can
0: I just make one comment? Please interject, go to the second and, then one? I, and then I can. Yeah, do the great, second one, please. I, uh, this is a quote. Justin and I are trying to help. Uh, listeners of Theocast understand that to be confessionally and creed, can be creedal and confessional is not to put authority on top of the Bible, but is to give a directive, no, no, no. you know, uh, Spurgeon fought this in his own day. And he says, I find so, it odd that those who f- think so highly of their interpretation of given by the illumination of the Spirit, think so little of those who also have received interpretation of the Spirit. Amen. So, it's so wonderful about the godly men and women that have gone before us. They have made the mistakes and recorded them for us and given us corrective. Yeah. One of these is helpful in the chapter on sanctification uh, underneath, uh, point two, it says this, uh, sanctification from the 16, sorry, 1689, which would be very, very similar to the Westminster as well. This sanctification extends throughout the whole person, though it is never completed in this life. Some corruption remains in every part from this arises a continual irrecyclable, sorry, irreconcilable war with the Mm -hmm. desires of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And, And What's happening, and I think what we're trying to expose is this quest for the spiritual experience is that somehow we assume that war eventually goes away and it doesn't exist.
1: Yeah. But
0: here's what wise Christians who battled their entire life with a Christian life uh, then concluded, in this war, the remaining corruption may greatly prevail for a time, yet through the mm-hmm. continual supply of strength for the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part overcomes. What they mean by that is going back to James chapter 2, is that they will persevere. But there, this concept that uh, one can get to a place where it's almost you reach immutability in mm-hmm. that <laughs> like you're, you're impervious, it's right. yeah, and uh what I always am encouraged by that I am in a line of millions of Christians over thousands of years who have battled the flesh every moment of every day. and that war that Paul talks about with the flesh, against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh is normal, and that times yes. our spirit is going to be. Uh, struggling because of the flare of the flesh, but yet we can't allow that to drive us down into despair, which is what most Christians end up doing because they assume there should be on a constant, like I said, spiritual adrenaline high. We should listen to those who come before us and say, that's not necessarily the case.
1: Well, there's this notion that exists in the church, John, though we would never maybe say it exactly like this, the whole idea of you should be better by now. Right. I should be better by now. How yeah. long have you been a Christian? You mm-hmm. know, you shouldn't be struggling this way or that way. That's common. Mm-hmm. Another thought I had about this whole theology of the cross and theology of glory, peace, that's related to some things you were saying earlier, is it's interesting, just an observation. People in the evangelical church that rightly condemn the prosperity gospel as false teaching. Right. I would suggest, in a way, peddle a kind of easy listening prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. Through this kind of thing, right? Where the, it's not about material well being. It's not about temporal blessing overtly, right? Like the prosperity gospel is. But it is a promise, effectively, that if you do the right things, if you're dedicated enough, if you're disciplined enough, if your affections are right, all that, right? If you have enough personal fervor and intensity of commitment and all that, then your life will look like this. You will become impervious to suffering effectively. Like you'll just be able to weather that storm. No problem. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You're not going to get knocked off your horse. Um, Things are just going to go up. You'll just kind of boom boom, right over everything and it'll be fine. And I don't think that's helpful Mm -mm. because we're going to find times in our lives, this side of the resurrection, whether it's through circumstance or just something that's inexplicable that just comes out of our fallen constitution. We're going to struggle in ways that we might not even conceive of. And it's going to be as intense of a struggle and battle as we've ever had on our hands, even if we've been a Christian for decades. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be honest about those things and be able to stare them in the face and call them what they are and point ourselves, one another outside of ourselves all the time to Jesus and what he's accomplished in our place. The next thought I want to offer Mm -hmm. just to kind of keep us the train moving here. I couldn't help but think of the confessional perspective of Christians as pilgrims. Mm. I think that analogy is so helpful in this conversation. Rather than a Christian being an activist or a crusader or a conqueror or whatever kind of word you want to use, a Christian is understood from a Reformed confessional perspective as a pilgrim and a sojourner an exile even in this land, in this world, right? And that is helpful on so many levels, but consider it this way when it comes to this quest for experience and the like. If we understand ourselves to be pilgrims, we know, all right, I've been promised a homeland and God has said he's going to deliver on that. And I believe him that he will. But between where I am now and when I arrive there, there's a lot to traverse and there's a lot of danger. And uh, many of those dangers are spiritual and I am not strong enough. I'm not sufficient enough to weather these. And I need not only just the grace of God broadly, but I need sustenance mm. and nourishment and protection and in particular i'm going to find that sustenance and nourishment and protection in the ministry of the church because that's what god has set this up mm. to be and i need to go and be a part of a local body i know we talk about the church a lot and we can't help but do that i mean mm-hmm. we're churchmen we're reformed guys and this is how people have talked through history right i need to i need to go where i can gather with my brethren and i can gather with my sisters other people who have been redeemed by the savior who understand collectively our need of him and how weak we are and we can receive him in word and sacrament and we can encourage one another because this is how we together as pilgrims will make it That's right. to the homeland. Right. And that is a much healthier perspective when it comes to talking about this quest for religious experience. Hmm. I'm not seeking after this, you know, mountaintop to mountaintop experience to experience. I'm just going to feel so good and strong as a Christian, it's like no. I'm I'm going to own my weakness, and I'm going to lean into my brothers and sisters as we all cling to the Lord Jesus together. Yeah. And this is how we're going to make it home.
0: Well, you Justin, know? just to point out the obvious, um, you can't walk into church and receive that. Unfortunately, in in most cases around the in around part
1: the- because of what we're saying, exactly the because tr- the normal tone and tenor of the local church in America is. It's not this understanding.
0: No, they've actually bred into this. Uh, You know, we walk into a movie theater because we are looking for an entertaining experience, whether it be, you know, depending on what, whatever whatever your taste may be, horror or happiness or whatever, mm-hmm. but we're, we're expecting an experience. And so people walk into sure. a local church and they're expecting an experience. And so you have seen that any time that you are trying to give the flesh an experience, there always has to be, the, it seems like you always have to increase the intensity. I mean, this is yeah. why you see that anything that is wrong and sinful has this nasty progression to it. But this can also be true of things that can can, can be good, can be healthy. But when you're trying to gain an experience that can only be spiritually brought by, the, by the, the correct means, we're not using them, we'll talk about this in just a minute. But when you think about walking into a modern-day evangelical big-box church, it is about the tone, the music, the lights, the 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 fog machine, and what's this this rotation of what's going on, and and what they're trying to create is this entertaining. They would never say it this way, but they're trying to create this entertaining experience, and then dub it as a actual spiritual experience. I have had people, I'm sure, Justin, you've experienced this too, where people come to our church and they're, they're ne- they've they're never really been in a Reformed church where the heavy emphasis is on the sufficiency of Christ, the confession of sin, and music that reflects that. So our, our songs are going to be about the building up of a faith in Christ. We aren't looking for some emotional high. We're, in other words, we're not
1: singing about us. We're singing about the cross. Right. We're not singing about
0: us, and we're not trying to evoke emotion from the music. Now, I will tell you, the words and listening to my brothers and sisters administrate the gospel to me by voice evokes all kinds of emotions, but it kind of just happens, and it doesn't happen every week. At times when my heart's at the lowest is when I am elevated in my encouragement of it. But the intention is not to create this moment. It is to, as Paul says, to think about how to take the Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to administrate them to one another. Why? Because that is what sustains us in this fight against the flesh and against the spirit, right? So when I think about people who walk into our context, it's been fun to watch them at first be like, yeah, the music's really boring and I don't get it. To all of a sudden later, (laughs) you see them fully enjoying being built up and grounded in the sufficiency and the satisfaction and the full, complete faithfulness of Christ. And they never once mention how they're going to be, they're going to do, they promise to be. It's like, no, I can't promise be or anything. I am a failure under the law. I need Christ. And that's what changes. So when you start changing your diet from Christ to sufficient For me, because of what he has done, this Mm -hmm. is why, Justin, in the covenant of grace, the new covenant, there is no you must do. There are no requirements as God fulfills them all. Therefore, those who live in under a new covenant, we love the joy of hearing what Christ has done for us. You flip this and you go to services that don't understand this perspective, and it's what you're going to do for God in music and in sermon. And the only thing they can do to motivate you is guilt you and tell you if you don't reach this emotional high, then there's something wrong with you. And even Mm -hmm. you could go into the charismatic world. It's through speaking in tongues or healings or having a word from the Lord. It's the endless pressure to hit yeah. that next level, and you can never say Christ is enough no matter where I'm at physically and mentally, right. he is enough. You you are not allowed to say that.
1: Yeah. If I were going to offer a final parting shot here on like, hey, brother, what is the cure or what's the antidote mm-hmm. to this illegitimate quest for religious experience, if we're going to put it that way? If you're saying that to to be on a quest for religious experience is going to fail me, which it will, then what do you offer in its place? Mm-hmm. And I think we've already kind of said this, but I just want to be crystal clear. What we would offer in its place is a theology, a piety, and a practice that is grounded in the objective realities of Christ for us by virtue of the covenant of grace. So what do we mean by those things? The person and work of Christ, who he is and what he did, that stands outside of us, unaffected by us, that is rock solid, right? That is extra outside of me, I'm always looking there. Not looking within, I'm always looking to him as the ground of my standing before God, as my hope and my peace, my assurance, my confidence. You know, the guarantee of eternal life is him. And then it's by virtue of the covenant of grace, meaning it's all received. It's given to me. I receive it by faith. I don't do anything. I don't work anything. I don't render unto God anything that would then result in him showing me his favor. That's not how it works. And so we just continue to preach that and teach that. And of course, people object to it. And I don't have time to riff on this, but uh, people sometimes get concerned that if that's what the emphasis of the church is, well, people, they'll say people aren't going to know how to live. It's like, well, yes, they will because we preach the law.
0: And, Third use of the uh, law.
1: Right. Right. The law is guide for the believer. We preach the law that way. But then also people will say, well, but what about the motivation for sanctification and the motivation for holiness? To which we would respond, brother, sister, with all due respect, if you want sanctified people, preach Christ. That's right. Right? Amen. And uh, yeah, so that's that's a decent, I think, final thought from me, John. There's yep. a lot of other things I could say. We'll save that for SR. Yep. And uh, yeah, I'll take a final. Part two kind of of this episode next week, right? Yeah, on that's right. What What is it that actually gives us joy and Sustains, right? That's right. Yeah,
0: yeah, there's a difference between an emotional high and everlasting joy. We call that the joy of Christ. Yeah. So, next week, we are going to pick this conversation back up and we're going to be talking about what robs us of joy, mm-hmm. and that's pietism. And once we are set free from pietism, we are set free free to enjoy piety and piety Mm -hmm. is what produces joy. So we'll talk about that next week, Uh, but we're going to continue this conversation over into the simple refer manda podcast. This is a, uh, podcast that Justin and I do every week. It's kind of that next level, somewhat application, deeper. I mean, it can go sideways in all the different kinds of ways. It's a really fun podcast. <laughs> okay. We really enjoy it. Uh, if you'd like to participate in that, you could do so by going to our website and signing up for Semper for This is just a way for people to partner with us and help us continue to spread the good news of resting in Christ and the sufficiency of Christ, that Christ is enough. I do want to say one thing before I leave. Down in our notes... We kind of introduced and 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 created a, a a scratched a problem, and there's a great solution for a lot of what if we're going to build on in anticipation for next week. If you want to go listen to this now, we're going to really be building on this next week. We did a three part series called "The uh, Practical Implications of Covenant Theology," really playing this yeah. out from a positive standpoint. We pointed out mm-hmm. the negative today. Positive, we're going to build on it next week, but to kind of get preparatory for that, you can go listen to that. Uh, We have an episode that Justin mentioned on theology of the cross versus theology of glory, that's in our notes. And I would say, um, law gospel when we talked about we still use the law, law gospel is a great episode. And then this is something that's similar to what we talked about. We did an episode long, long time ago, one of our first ones when we restarted, it's called More Than a Feeling. Uh, What a great, great graphic on that as well. But uh, all of that will be available down in our notes. We hope you take advantage of that. Uh, For those of you that are going to be in SR, we'll see you over there. Thank you for listening. See you next week.